Come on. The time is right. The time is now. Welcome to Lifeblood. Be well and welcome our guest, strong and powerful Deborah Strugo. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, George. Yeah, excited to have you on. Deborah is the founder of Row House. She's a wellness and fitness spokesperson and industry advocate. Deborah, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sounds good, George. I would love to. You know, I got into the fitness industry. Really, it was a side hustle, and I loved the fitness industry. I just felt so passionate about getting moving and keeping people, you know, living their healthy, healthiest lives. And so I got into that straight out of college and just always looked for a way to kind of bridge business and fitness together. And that's really what led me on my quest to ultimately grow Row House into what it is today, which is a national fitness franchise, probably going global there with the brands um, in the coming years. And I do have three kids at home. So balancing all of that, um, you know, from a little itty bitty studio brands about six years ago where we had one or two to an amazing partnership that we have now where we are franchising the concepts along with exponential fitness and um, also raising my family. Awesome. So six years ago, you've got one or two of these studios, and now here we are, 250 plus, and thinking about international. That's 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 incredible. It's impressive. It's it's is it's probably not unbelievable. But as you're looking back on that, how do you describe that? I think to a certain degree, ignorance is bliss. Right? <laughs> we were. <laughs> together working, my husband and I, on this idea. We felt like there was no reason that it couldn't grow into the brands that it has grown into today, but we were just funding it with our own money, you know, and trying to figure out what would come next each day to kind of get to where we are now. And so there, there is no straight line, right? There is definitely not an instruction book or instruction manual for building a brand from scratch and building a business from scratch. Um, it is nice actually now because we're involved in franchising that we can give people instruction manuals and they get a lot of the support that we didn't have when we were getting going. But I think, you know, ultimately it's just been a lot of um, sleepless nights and just almost we call it the queen's gamut sometimes where you're like looking at that chessboard, trying to figure out how to put all of the pieces together to get to the next place. So uh, the, the main thing that we've been able to be over the course of these years, I think has been really, really resourceful um, and being resourceful has led to our strategy, you know, and just going out there, talking to as many people as possible, getting answers to questions we don't know that we didn't anticipate would come up and continually moving forward, being obviously very open-minded to feedback we got and concerns that people would give along the way, but also knowing ultimately where do we want to go and being resourceful to ultimately try to get to that place. Nice. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's it's uh, it, Thinking about building a business is really, really hard, but also thinking about building a brand is also really, really hard. Do you separate those two? And were you thinking about that six years ago? I love that question because I talk about that 
sometimes and nobody knows what I'm talking about, George, it's totally two different things, right? Building a brand and building a business can be two totally different things. Figuring out how do you spend, you know, are you spending on creating buzz or are you spending on something that's going to translate specifically to the bottom line immediately? And how do you sort that out as you're literally deciding, you know, your own financial picture for your business. They, I, so yes, I agree. There are two different things. And I think at first I didn't acknowledge that. It took a little bit to acknowledge that. It wasn't until we really started to talk to different investors and strategic partners that we recognized that maybe we had been a little more focused on building a brand than on building a business. And why is that? Because we weren't watching our EBITDA line every day. We were making sure we didn't overspend for sure. We didn't want to spend money we didn't have, but we weren't really watching that EBITDA line. We were more, you know, spending to create a brand. And was that the right decision? I'm not sure. I, I think sometimes maybe spending directly to your, you know, to build your business and watch that EBITDA would be a good decision. And sometimes building a brand is a better decision. So really, it comes down to what's your ultimate goal and where are you trying to get. And if you are looking for an exit or investors or something like that, you know, what do they want to see from you? What are the indicators that they would want to see to help you get to the next level? Would it be a brand type indicator like size of community or would it be an EBITDA type indicator, um, you know, or something totally different? How did you pick all this up? <laughs> I don't know. Does it sound, does it sound smart or crazy? It, sound, it sounds super smart. <laughs> It's <laughs> yeah, you just learn as you go. I mean, I, I do have I am fortunate to connect with some people along the way to advise for some companies, you know, to help just lead people in the right direction, whether it's through, you know, project based consulting or what have you, or again, you know, more involved in a company as an advisor or uh, working with them. And because I do think that a lot of people that are getting started do recognize that people who have done it already have just amazing, I don't know, tidbits, wisdom, things that if they pick up on it, it can shortcut them to kind of getting to where they, they go. Um, so I guess I did the same. I think I found people that I, you know, admired in some way or that I felt inspired by or, you know, I felt I could bounce questions off of and just continued to ask those questions as I came upon different things um, and again took me to the next level. I don't think that there is any foolproof answer out there. I, you know, I don't think there is any absolute one way to go. Um, you know, I thought if I had an MBA, I might know things better. And then I did a Goldman Sachs 10 KSB program that certainly gave me some tools. But at the end of the day, you know, it's really that real life experience of building a company that I think teaches you the most. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, when when uh, when when I was preparing for our conversation, I was uh, I was on the website looking at Row House, and it's it's a beautiful website, and it's it, it's it's amazing, and under, and learning more about about rowing and how it's low impact and full body, and it's it's cardio, and and anybody can do it. And I was thinking, it's interesting. It seems like. Um, seems like a very, very, obviously very, very specific thing. And then I thought about uh, niching or niching down. What are your thoughts on that? 
yeah, you know, we are not rowers. My husband and I were not rowers. We were just fitness people who saw the application of the rowing machine to actually be a very, very broad um, having a, a very broad potential customer. And why is that? Because the rowing machine can actually, you know, um, support people who are very, very heavy, very deconditioned. Um, and so it runs a really good, strong gamut with regards to somebody's fitness level. So if you're an athlete or if you're just really coming off the couch, it can support you. So while some people do consider it to be niche, I think we saw it as something that could have a really, really broad application Mm -hmm. and just had to figure out how to make that known in the market. The market, some people knew about rowing and you'd be surprised by how many people have a rowing machine in their dusty basement or, you know, saw it on the side of the gym and didn't really know how to use it or had a friend or sister who was always rowing and, you know, it was the best shape they were in their life. And so we just had to kind of bring that idea forward more front and center and continually still do work with the team that's really executing on the day-to-day to make sure that we're getting that message across. So that key message, whatever that message is, right, that is the reason that you get your business started, it really does have to get woven through. And everybody who's working on the business really needs to understand, you know, again, that this particularly for rowing, it's not just about hitting that niche, niche user that loves to row. It's about bringing all of these amazing benefits of this efficient, effective, really all in one workout Mm -hmm. to a broad group of people that would, would benefit from it. Nice. Well, that certainly makes sense. So talking about what the ultimate goal is and, and understanding that, did did you really have that in mind six years ago, or did it take a little while? Talk, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, we wanted to be the household name for rowing. We felt that there was no reason rowing shouldn't be front and center in the fitness um, options out there on the market, and we wanted to be front and center for it. And just to give you an idea, back when we got started, there were a couple of different brands that had tried it, but nobody really had emerged as kind of the market leader. And we were amongst the first that actually got technology off the rowing machines sent, you know, through an email and posted up on the screens in the studio and downloaded onto your app and all of those sorts of things. And so now there's been a lot of growth in the market and it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing to see all of the growth in the market. But we did want to be the market leader. We just didn't really know all of the work that would go into actually getting to that place. Yeah, I'm sure it was a lot. There was definitely a lot of work (laughs) to do to get to that place. But just like anything else, you know, when you're passionate about it and you find your evangelists and the people who see it and understand it, as long as you continue to, you know, uh, throw fuel on that fire Make sure that you have really smart customer acquisition strategies. You can retain your customers, but again, kind of stay 
true to what do you want to deliver to your customers and do they like it? And how do you make sure you kind of have a really strong customer life cycle there and don't get distracted by shiny objects or by people telling you to go in another direction? As long as you can do that, I think you get further, you know, you can get to that place. We certainly did have moments in time where we lost sight of where we wanted to keep going because you know, you just get shocked by something. I mean, you get maybe shocked by just a piece of mail that you got from, I don't know, some regulatory agency that you didn't anticipate getting. Oh, did you not, you know, file something properly or any sort of issue that comes up on the business side along the way. And, you know, it's easy again as you're building a business to get distracted from your overall goal and strategy. And I think that's why people say to take some time outside of the business, not always be in the business, because it is important to stay focused on, you know, why are you here in this first place? Yeah. How how are you and your husband different um, from a from from a business or a personality standpoint? And who are or or when did you? sort of recognize it's time for us to find this person to bring into our business or or a department or whatever it might be? Um, yeah, we're different because he, uh, I would say, is the ultimate connector with people. You know, we'll say in a party, he's the one that will stay and talk to somebody for the longest and get to know them the best, and I'll be kind of floating from one person to the next person to the next mm-hmm. person you know, making sense of everybody in the party. And I think it's been the same for us over the course of time in the business and growing the business is, you know, we'll be in the lobby talking to different people as to why are they coming and he'll get the deep, deep, deep stories, you know, of how have we changed people's lives and how this product really solves people's problems and, you know, brings them to the place that they want to be and he'll get all of that information and I'll be more kind of, you know, surface level surveying the scene is everything happening properly. You could almost say more on an oper- from an operation standpoint, making sure everything's happening on the business side. But quite honestly, I don't love, you know, the COO side of things. I'm more like the revenue and the biz dev and all of those types of things. So he really has been the one to kind of pump those customer stories in and really see, again, the product side. How does the product speak to them? Are they getting lost in the product? Are they staying in the product? Are they, you know, getting what they need out of the product? And then we've worked together to kind of build and curate the business um, to match, to match that know-how, I guess you could say. Yeah, I appreciate that. And what was, when if you could think back and uh, remember sort of growing and making those first sort of key hires what or, or just how do you counsel people now say here's the people that you want to bring on as 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 quickly as possible if that's a thing oh uh, yes and also you had asked about you know bringing on a partner ultimately we knew that we needed some growth equity to be able to grow this company and grow this concept because it was self-funded along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember clearly, you know, getting to a point where it was harder to make decisions about hires or it was harder to make decisions about spending or adding a studio because what happens in a growth business is mistakes become higher, right? You're going to spend more on a location or you're going to spend more on a hire and 
you know, if you make a mistake, the stakes are higher. So I, I think I got to some stumbling blocks a little bit where, you know, I, I did what I could really do for it. And now it was the time to bring on somebody else that could also bring some capital. And that's really how we ultimately decided to go with exponential for our future um, of row house was they had all of the franchise know-how and could go ahead and do franchising for row house. And that would be what would bring it to the future, you know, to the, to the vision of having many, many studios throughout the, country, you know, if not the world. Um, so that was a really good thing there. I think, you know, hires in general for any brands are really about making sure that that person understands the brands, you know, in, in sourcing good hires, but also in training your hires. Because as much as you could try to source the exact perfect person, you also do have to make sure that you train them up, right? And sometimes it takes a little time to figure out, is this the right person? And that's why they say slow to hire, quick to fire, right? <laughs> because you, you, you never know, right? But ultimately, I think the goal really is you need to make sure that somebody really understands and prescribes to the vision of the company. And it has also been given the opportunities to see what that vision is, you know, to understand the product, all aspects of the business, the clients, you know, and really understands who are we trying to solve our business for? Because if we don't really understand our customers and what makes them excited, what makes them tick, I don't know how we build a really strong business around that. that makes sense. I like it. Well, Deborah, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Be resourceful. Be resourceful and be open-minded. So two things, just as you're going through your business, if you come up with questions, problems, reach out, have a little Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is, know who you can reach out for different topics. And when you talk to these people, be open-minded about what they have to say. You might be doing things different than they would suggest, but be open-minded to that. You might find some amazing gold in some of what they're saying. That would be my difference-making tip. It's never a straight line, so we need to just continue going through and climb the climb and fight the good fight. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Debra, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? I'm very active in LinkedIn, George. So I'm at Debra Strugo on LinkedIn and affidicensholdings.com. Give us the website again. Fittisonsholdings.com. That's my website for all of my advisory work that I've been doing. So Fittisons, like Citizens, F-I-T-I-Z-E-N-S holdings.com. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Deborah your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. You can find Deborah on LinkedIn and check out fittisonsholding.com. That's F-I-T-I-Z-E-N-S holdings, Deborah. Fittisons holdings. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Well, thank you again, Deborah. Thank you. That was fun. Yeah, for sure. And until next time, Keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.